Hello, Duke fans. Welcome to episode 472. What is quite likely, unless there is something huge that happens, this is quite likely our last episode of a very, very exciting and interesting 2022 here on the Duke Basketball Report podcast. I am Jason Evans. I will be your host today. We'll be going over the very exciting Duke Bowl win, I believe Duke's fourth consecutive bowl victory, although not in consecutive years. <laughs> uh, we'll be talking about that. We'll also be previewing the uh, resumption of the Duke men's basketball team's uh, foray through the ACC as we will be facing Florida State this weekend. And uh, we will wrap it all up at the end with some interesting news about Duke players getting paid and how that's working out for them. Like I said, I'm Jason. I'm joined, as I almost always am, by Donald and Sam. Donald, I'll start with you. How you doing, my friend? I believe that you were there yesterday, correct? I was at the game. Uh, it was a nice time. I'm happy to uh, uh, share a lot of takings from what happened yesterday at the uh, game and also the pregame. But it was a lot of fun. A lot of people came out. Uh, Duke Nation showed up, which I was very happy about. Yes, exactly, for that bowl game in Annapolis. Sam Klein, when we last spoke to you, you were supposed to be flying down and checking out the game in Annapolis, but that did not happen. Tell us about your travails. I believe your story is not unique among Americans traveling over the holidays. No, because uh, I had a flight booked on Southwest Airlines on Wednesday morning from Boston to Baltimore. Uh, that flight got canceled. I did not have uh, another. Wait, can, can I ask, Sam, how far in advance did they cancel it? It wasn't like a last minute thing, was it? Well, I, I, yeah, I don't need to. Uh, I don't need to harp on this for for people who are currently suffering PTSD from from this whole experience. And, and granted, uh, all that I lost was the ability to go to a bowl game. I didn't not get to see family or anything. But uh, so the game was on Wednesday. I was supposed to fly Wednesday morning. I was talking to friends about how all the travel was getting disrupted on Monday. So I I checked uh, Flight Aware that evening. Said that my flight was canceled even though the Southwest app was not telling me that it was canceled. And uh, I looked for, for other ways to get there. There was not going to be a way for me to do it with spending any reasonable amount of money. So uh, I bailed on the game. I was also uh, scheduled to leave. I was going to be in D.C. that night. Uh, Donald and I were probably going to hang out a little bit. And then I was leaving for New York the next day. So instead, I went straight to New York. Uh, because I'm here. I have a wedding to go to in a few days. And in the meantime, uh, I get to go to a few fish concerts, which is great. Uh, I am tired this morning because I went to one last night instead of going to the bowl game, uh, which is which is awesome uh, in, in absentia. So I was not able to attend the bowl game. Unfortunately, I did get to watch it in peace and quiet and, and really, really take in uh, all the all the sights from afar. But Donald, I really wish I had been there with you because it looked like one, it looked like the weather held up pretty well, and two, the uh, the Duke defense held up really well. Oh, wow! Yeah, yeah. It, it was it was a lot of fun. We you were definitely missed um, at the game, and yes, it was a it was actually kind of warm. Uh, we we dressed for what we thought were going to be some pretty severe cold weather, uh, and it turned out being a nice you know fall day uh, in in Annapolis. So that was pretty cool. Yeah, hey, let's get to our uh, recap of the victory where the Blue Devils beat uh, UCF 30-13. to 13. Uh, Man, that is that is an impressive score, and it's not like a deceptive score. It was This was absolutely a game, you know, it was really only, I don't want to say it wasn't in doubt, but 
UCF stayed with Duke for the first quarter. And after that, Duke was the better team the final three quarters of the game. No question about it. Donald, I'm going to come to you first. Before we talk specifically about what happened on the field, give us a little more of of the stands, of the pregame, of all the hullabaloo about being a Blue Devil in Annapolis for the Military Bowl. Yeah, so as I've mentioned before, this is a bowl game that has wanted Duke for a long time. As we all know, there's a lot of Duke alumni here in the area. Also was very close to North Carolina, very close to New York, very close to Philly. Uh, a lot of fan base, a lot of alumni bases for Duke uh, are very close by. So it made for a really nice, you know, atmosphere, at least from the Duke side. The the Duke sa- section of the field or the half of the field, if you will, was just about full. And what they did was because they didn't sell enough tickets for the upper deck of the stadium, the stadium hits, holds about 34,000. Uh, I had bought tickets with, uh, you know, 11 others in the upper deck. And what they did was they upgraded everybody from the upper deck down to the lower deck, which is maybe like five or 10 feet, but you know, it's the, it's sometimes it's the optics of, Hey, I'm in the lower bowl as opposed to going upstairs, but it's a really nice stadium. If you have not been to Navy Marine Corps Memorial stadium, uh, it's a very, very nice stadium. Uh, and Duke fans showed up. We were all over the place. We had a nice pregame uh, beforehand with the president and the band and the mascots and, and, uh, and the cheerleaders. Reggie love spoke at the, uh, gave us a few words. Uh, it was, it was a lot of fun and it was, kind of a reunion of sorts, especially for uh, a lot of the guys who used to play for the program. And, and when we think about like other, you know, big time college football programs, you'll see players come back and it's always a big deal. And for a while, when Duke football players came back to visit, it wasn't as big a deal as when say Carlos Boozer comes back to visit uh, for the basketball side or any other uh, basketball alum. There's, there's no welcoming committee. They don't shout them out during the games and stuff like that. But it's clear that these guys have a vested interest in seeing the program succeed and how happy they were that the program has seen success so far in Mike Elko's first season. And yesterday was no exception. Again, all of them just raved about the great year that they all had uh, on the football field, how excited they are about the future of Duke football. And I think uh, whether they played for the team or whether you're just an alum that came to the game, that was the overarching theme. Everyone was so excited about how they, you know, how this program has come along, how quickly it's come along. And I think we've talked about that, but also just how excited they were to see a bowl game in a really nice stadium in a really nice city, very, very close to the nation's capital. So I, I thought that was a lot of fun. Everyone had a great time. And obviously Duke winning was the cherry on top of the, uh, of the pie. Yeah. Okay. So let's get to the game itself. And, and, and I'm going to start with, with the defense, Sam, you know, briefly sort of mentioned it a second ago, uh, the Duke D was was on their game. There was a sequence early in the second half where Duke got three sacks on two plays because one of them was taken away for 12 men on the field. Like uh, UCF saw that Duke was having trouble transitioning. And and as a result, um, they, they called a play early. So Duke had 12 men on the field, but we sacked him anyway on that play. I I adored that sequence where Duke just kept on sacking them and, and this was a UCF team that came into the game averaging better than 34 points per game, 34 points per game. And they only scored 13 against Duke. So Sam, talk to me a little bit more about this really impressive. And by the way, a defensive effort that happened without Shaka Hayward, who most people think is uh, or was the best defender on the team this past year. Boy, did Cam Dillon have a heck of a game subbing for Shaka Hayward two sacks for him, nine tackles for Cam Dillon. Uh, this was a, a really impressive defensive effort, wasn't it? 
And it felt like Duke knew exactly what UCF was up to in terms, you know, we, we, we talked a lot about their quarterback, John Rice Plumley in the preview and, you know, Plumley was able to get some passes off. Like he, he's, he is the, the engine for that, uh, for that UCF offense. But as you pointed out, Jason, lots of times where uh, Plumley was like caught in the backfield, um, forced to scramble, maybe even more than he than he wants to, and and uh, it was it was incredible to see. And 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 as you mentioned, uh, Duke and UCF kind of traded punches early in the game. Uh, looked like it was a little more fair, and then and then all of a sudden it's like UCF's playbook was empty, or at least it was devoid of anything that Duke wasn't reading ahead of time because it felt like the all the you know Blue Devil secondary and linebackers and such were um, were exactly where where UCF was. Uh, Plumley has only a you know a so-so day. Uh, Duke gets a pick at the end to to kind of seal the deal. So it was it was pretty impressive uh, from the defensive front and not a lot of you know I think there's there's been uh, the defense has been good this year, but I don't know that they've um, that they've managed to shut down a, a a team this good like UCF. This was one of Duke's better wins in terms of like. As you said, you look at the final score, and that final score actually felt indicative of how wide the margin was between uh, Duke and the and the Knights yesterday. Uh, so Donald and I spent some time talking in the preview. Folks who you know didn't listen to it, we 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 spoke to the guys from the Black and Gold Banneret who cover UCF football, and in their in that preview, they mentioned two stats they were watching for this game. The first one was turnovers. Donald, I know you want to talk about the turnovers in a moment. And that's something that Duke has been phenomenally good at this season. I believe we closed the season like as the second best fumble recovering or maybe the best fumble recovery team in the entire nation this year, which is just a, a crazy statistic. Uh, but the other thing they talked about in addition to turnovers was yards per rush as a key stat that they were looking for. Guys, in this game, UCF, which is a really good rushing team, only averaged 3.6 yards per carry. Duke averaged 4.4. So we we outrushed them by almost 50 yards on the field. And the other stat that I said we should look at in this game was how many yards does John Rice Plumley rush for? Because I pointed out that he's had games recently where he's gone over 150. Like their quarterback is capable of putting up, you know, 150 200 yards and scoring a couple touchdowns. And I said, that's something that Duke has to contain. John Rice Plumley on this game, 14 carries for 21 yards. That's not <laughs> rushing for 150. <laughs> Donald, this was a, this was just a really impressive effort in terms of Duke accomplishing all the things we said they needed to do in the preview, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. And, and there was three keys. I think we kind of, leaned on as a theme of what how this game was going to go you mentioned a couple of stats but the overarching themes were to contain John Rice Plumley, to uh to have no big plays and to win the turnover battle you mentioned John Rice Plumley, so I won't get into that but really containing him not just with his with his feet but also in the air again that leads to the second point no big plays they only had one guy that went over 30 yards on a play and I think that was like a you know a, one of those like screen dump offs that turned into uh, a long run for their first uh, to get them close to their first touchdown. Uh, but I, I think other than that, we really kept them where there was no momentum from their side to move the chains or anything like that. And the third thing, win the turnover battle. I mean, there was one time where we did fumble the ball, but we had stepped out of bounds like 
somehow they didn't catch this. I don't know if you saw this on TV, but he stepped out of bounds like 30 yards before the fumble. Uh, and then they said, yes, it was a fumble. And then on review, they said, wait, no, we were wrong. He stepped out like 30 yards back. It's still Duke's ball. And then we ended up scoring on that drive. That again is a momentum killer. So, you know, those three things, both us and the guys at, at Black and Gold Banneret both mentioned the fact that John Rice Plumley can beat you on the ground. And like you said, Jason, he's had games where he's gone off for 150. I believe they didn't even get to 150 as a team. They got to 128 uh, on 36 carries. So, look, that is an excellent effort by the you know, mentioned. They mentioned the offensive line. They mentioned the defensive line. And even with guys missing on defense, we still just really held them at arm's length the entire game. You know, there was a great quote from Mike Elko about this game that I think when you look back on the game and, you know, how it how it transformed from a competitive contest into one where Duke was pretty comfortable. This this quote's going to ring ring true. Mike Elko in the post post game. And, and I got this from our friend Jim Sumner, who, a friend of the podcast. And, and folks, if you do not subscribe to Jim's Substack, uh, his articles, then you're, you're missing out on something about Duke football and basketball. But OK, enough of pumping up Jim. Uh, the quote that Jim pointed out was that Mike Elko said playing and finishing halves is critical. He thinks the end of the half and the start of the second half are just places where there are huge momentum swings. And Elko pointed out we were able to get a score to go up 17 to 7, which was really big. And then the defense got a really quick three and out on um, on UCF. And it gave Duke enough time to get uh, a field goal. Todd Polino. Uh, the freshman who uh, you know went out and banged a 48 yard field goal which great day but by, by him by the way great yeah great i mean todd polino uh really had a, 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 a there was a lot of wind right donald it was it was pretty windy and stuff so for polino to bang a 48 yard so duke comes in to the half we, we finish the half super strong we come to the half up 20 to 7 and we promptly come out at the start of the next half and and elko talked about that we were we we were just we drove the ball well down the field. We got another field goal. The lead goes up to 16 points early in the second half. And Elko said finishing that first half strong, starting that second half strong, just changed the complexion of the game completely. It changed what Duke was able to do. It changed what what UCF was trying to do. Uh, it it inflates your uh, you know your performance and deflates the other team. He he had nothing but huge, huge praise for his players. I think there's huge praise that should be heaped upon him and his staff who were clearly incredibly prepared and got this team motivated and ready. Sam, let, we, we spent so much time talking about defense. Give me a little bit of offense here because this, you know, in addition to as great as the defense was, it's a pretty, pretty efficient, pretty good game by the offense. Lots of long scoring drives. I know in the second half, uh, Coach Elko talked about how it was a, it was a little bit of a bummer that the the offense sort of didn't continue driving as hard in the second half as they did in the first half. They did most of their damage in the first half and uh, and sort of relied on the defense in the second half. But um, Riley Leonard was was running the show very efficiently. Uh, doesn't pass for any touchdowns yesterday, but that's because Duke's ground game um, but between Leonard and and the two top running backs was so efficient that it felt like there were lots of guys that could get you chunk yardage throughout the game yesterday. Uh, Leonard's best play probably was, uh, was that, that last touchdown that he scored uh, jumping into the, into the end zone, which was pretty athletic, probably unnecessary uh, given, given how well Duke had kind of wrapped up the game at that point. But 
what an efficient game for him. And then, and then lots of good uh, post-game content from him about how excited he is to come back next year. I think the, you know, one of the things you could worry about after a performance like this, after a season like this is that guys like Leonard or even, even coaches like Mike Elko say, okay, well I've done it here. Now, now I've sort of proven now it's time to, to, you know, trade in for, a, for an even bigger program, but both of them seem excited to, uh, to, to run it back next year, which is even, uh, which gets me even more excited, right? Because if they could do this in a season where they were in a way sort of cobbling everything together for the first time and Elko's kind of finding his way around the uh, the facilities there, look at how much better it's going to be now that he feels a little bit more comfortable, now that he knows kind of who the leaders are in the locker room. The thing about Riley Leonard is that he, whatever happened yesterday, whether it was third down or whatever, it felt like he always made the right play. And that's, you know, in a game, like you're going to have quarterbacks make mistakes. They may throw overthrow the ball. They may, you know, take a sack when they should have thrown the ball away or something like that. But it felt like whenever we were in a pressure situation, he didn't make many mistakes. And again, that's momentum. That's moving the ball, moving the chains, whether it was, again, there's times we had third and short and he found the right guy or he made the right run. He made the, you know, made the read correctly, gave it to one of the running backs to get a first down. It felt like every single time we were in a pressure situation, he was able to come up with the right play at the right time. And that's, you know, again, that helped demoralize UCF at times and really just have them on their heels the entire time. Really, really loved what I saw from Riley Leonard. And yeah, Sam, I'm super excited about the prospect of having him for yet another season, a, a more mature uh, quarterback who already has proven to be a great leader. He's going to be awesome to watch next year and is really going to help our squad. Well, it's not just Riley Leonard. Uh, a, a huge percentage of this team is coming back for next year. Um, we heard that Michael Carter is, it was considering the NFL. I mean, he had a, he was, he was in the defensive, I mean, the offensive backfield uh, throughout that entire game. And he, he has decided he wants to return to Duke. I, I haven't looked at the exact numbers, uh, but it, it it certainly appears Duke's going to return, you know, probably 16, 18 or more starters from this team. Uh, and and most of the depth, there's, there's just, we haven't been hit that hard in the transfer portal, at least so far. It looks like we're bringing some guys in in the transfer portal. I mean, the the needle is pointed way, way up for this Duke team. And and speaking of, you know, guys leaving and staying and being committed to the program, Mike Elko talked about how the fact that there are so many guys in this team who after that 2021 season, before he arrived, could have said, I'm going elsewhere. I'm packing it up. I'm not going to stay for my fifth year. You know, there are guys who stay for their fifth year. You know, I'm not going to. There are guys who could have easily said, Duke football's not for me. Because that 2021 season was brutal. We all remember it. Not good. And he but he said that these guys stuck together. They worked super hard in the offseason. Guys, remember all the videos of weight training and stuff like that that we were getting over the summer from this team? All the, the, the PR record, like all the personal records they were doing and like yeah. you know, guys breaking records of their own or of Duke's every single day, it seemed. Yeah, I mean, Mike Elko said this is a special club for how much they stuck together and how hard they worked to get better. I still marvel. I cannot believe that with virtually the same roster, this is not a roster that's been remade. With virtually the same roster that was non-competitive against Power 5 opponents last year, 
Duke just went out and won nine games. It is not crazy to think that this Duke team may be ranked in the preseason or will certainly be a team getting a lot of consideration for it. This is this is going to be a Duke club that a lot of people will say has has the ability to contend for the division title next year in the ACC. Well, there won't be it's divisions stunning. next year, but but right, that, you're you know, right. Sorry, yeah, there won't. But the, yes, that upper half of the ACC that could contend for going to the title game. And I'll tell you this, Jason, at the pregame yesterday, obviously, you know, talking to a lot of uh, players, you know, former players and and a lot of alums. Another thing that was kind of circulating was, hey, I would not be surprised if in this off season that Elko's contract is restructured just a bit to give him a little bit more money, give his staff a little bit more resources, and also to increase that buyout because a lot of people are talking about Mike Elko as, man, not not to say like, yo, we hope we have him for a long time. A lot of them are saying, yo, we hope we have him for three or four seasons because if we don't, it means someone came and picked him off uh, after season two. And a lot of people are trying to already put in place the mechanisms so that if that situation comes up, Duke gets paid. And th- this is a somewhat unfamiliar territory for Duke fans. I think the last time that we had a coach, you know, poached away from us uh, was Gail Gestenkers, which is 15 years ago. And uh, so it, it's a rare thing. Duke obviously hasn't lost a football go- coach to another program since Steve Spurrier left. So uh, this is, th- this is an interesting position for, for the Blue Devils to be in and, and or for the, for the program to be in that they have to worry about, <laughs> about the football coach jumping ship because he's too good. Yeah. Hey, by the way, there are two last really, really quick things about the bowl game I wanted to mention before we go. The first is I talked earlier about that sequence where Duke got three sacks on two plays because we had the 12th man on the field penalty. That was the only penalty that Duke had in the game. I, that is unbelievable that you would play a bowl game and only have one penalty in the entire game. I mean, that's how clean Duke played. That's how prepared Duke was for this game. And then the other thing I wanted to mention there was a play with three minutes left in the first half that deserves being called out. I loved this play. Uh, it was a third down, third and five, and Riley Leonard's in the shotgun, and guys are moving around. You know, he looks like he's audibling or something, and he takes a few steps. He, you know, everybody kind of stands up, and Riley Leonard takes a few steps toward the sideline like he's talking to the coaching staff. And then suddenly, Duke hikes the ball, a direct snap to the running back, completely surprises the UCF defense. It looked like, you know, Duke was not going to get a playoff or, or was, you know, was waiting before they would get set, but they, they hiked it anyway and they went ahead and ran for the first down. I love the trickery on that play. That is the kind of play that takes a, a ton of planning and thought and preparation because guys have to look like they're sort of acting casual, but they can't move because if they move, it's a legal procedure. So it was really, really clever, really well done. And, you know, one of many ways that Mike Elko completely outcoached Gus Malzahn in this contest yesterday. Shows that those guys were having fun, which is honestly like yeah. when you're having a bowl game where guys are having fun, that means it's a really good day. Absolutely. So that's going to wrap it up for the Duke Basketball Reports coverage of the football team on this episode. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, the tall Florida State Seminoles, the ham boys coming are they, wait, are they coming to Cameron? I don't even know where the game is. Where's the game, guys? <laughs> Cameron. It isn't Cameron. They're coming to Cameron for New Year's Eve. We're going to preview it after the break.
We're back from the break, and it is time to talk about Duke's basketball team getting back into action. Hopefully, everybody made it back okay from the Christmas break. As as Sam knows, travel was not not an easy thing. I hope the guys were able to get back in town because on Saturday, Duke will be playing Florida State, the Florida State Seminoles, in uh, another ACC contest. We are now into the the heart, or at least the beginning of the heart, the veins. <laughs> <laughs> of the of the ACC schedule, the, the guts of ACC play. There you go, man. Uh, uh, as the Blue Devils will be place, fa- facing Florida State. Can I speak? I think I can talk a little bit uh, on Saturday. Uh, this is a Florida State team that uh, is not having a good season. That is putting it mildly. They are currently four and ten. Four and ten on the year. It is worth noting that they've been playing better lately. After starting the season one and nine, Florida State has won three of their last four, including victories over Louisville and Notre Dame, two other teams that are not playing well in the ACC. The ACC I was going to say beating Louisville, an amazing accomplishment this year for anyone. <laughs> uh, in any event, let's get to our preview of that contest. Donald, I will start with you. Tell me a little bit about the season that Florida State has been having thus far. Yeah, well, as you mentioned, they're four and ten on the year. They're two and one in the ACC, as you mentioned. They have been playing a little bit better as of late, but uh, their victories uh, are against teams that, as you mentioned, aren't that great: Mercer, Louisville, and USC Upstate, uh, South Carolina Upstate. That for for those of you uh, on the East Coast uh, and Notre Dame for Notre, yeah, and Notre Dame. I was going to say Notre Dame was the last game they played. That was back on the twenty first. They won by one. So uh, not again. It was not like they blew the doors off, but that's probably the best team that they've played. Uh, or that they've beaten this year. Their bad losses, they do have two on their record. One was the very first game of the season against Stetson, and then another about three weeks ago or so against Siena. So uh, they do, uh, like I said, four and ten. The one thing that there's a couple things that have been, you know, kind of bad for them. And Jason, I know you're going to talk a little bit about their metrics, but here's two things. One, defensive rebounding. You know, for a team that has been as tall and as big as Florida State has been in years past, uh, the Leonard Hamilton coached teams usually throws four or five, seven footers out there at you sometimes. This team is one of the 20 worst teams in defensive rebounding in the country. Uh, very, They just have not been able to keep people off of the offensive glass. On the other side, they also aren't really hitting a lot of their shots, namely two-pointers. They hit 46% of their two-pointers. That is a very bad percentage. You want guys, you want teams to be closer to 60%. Uh, at least over 50% will be, would be, you know, okay. But shooting under 50% from, from two point means you're not doing much from three point or anything like that. I will say this, they do get a lot of steals. And I think when they do force, force turnovers, it is via the steal. So they're going to have guys with hands in passing lanes. Again, that's a product of, you know, some of their guys usually being pretty big and, and, in Leonard Hamilton kind of teaching that pressure defense to them. But the thing about Duke is the one thing we talked about against Wake Forest that didn't happen was there was no energy. We have to have energy. I know it's going to be New Year's Eve. It will be at home in Cameron. There, The students won't be there, but there's never not injury in Cameron Endor Stadium, and they have to play like that. And then also focus on getting open shots and knocking them down, something that Jason and I, we talked about uh, as our as our holiday gifts to the players is, is better shooting in 2023. We can start by popping some bottles on, on New Year's Eve in the form of three-point shots. So, Donald, we have a we have a thing on this podcast where we each divide up what we're going to talk about. You stole all my content, man. This is not fair. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was I was going to talk about they're terrible at defensive rebounding, they're terrible two-point shooting team, all these advanced stats. 
You already mentioned all of I it. have I have more if you want to talk about individual players, Jason. Yeah. Good. <laughs> That's your assignment. Yes. So we're gonna get to that in a second. I'll give you a little bit of other stuff that I've got from the advanced stats, seeing as Donald stole most of my content. Uh, they come into this game as, uh, according to Ken Pomeroy, Florida State is the number 152nd, 152 in the country. Not a good number for an ACC team. Most years, being in that kind of range would make you certainly the, the worst team in the ACC. It's kind of stunning that they're not the worst team in the ACC this year, according to Ken Palm, but it, it's still bad number, and they're equally bad on offense and defense. This is not a situation where they perform well on one end of the floor and not on the other end of the floor. In terms of their pace of play, because I think this is very interesting, they're a team that plays very fast on offense. Florida State finds the shot they want, and they take it very quickly on offense, but they really, really try to slow you down on defense. They have one of the five slowest defensive possession times of any team in the country. So it'll be really interesting to see if they're able to continue to do that against Duke. Now, it's worth noting their defense hasn't been super effective, so it may take a little while, but teams seem to get the shot they want against Florida State, which is not a good sign. Um, as Donald mentioned, they are uh, terrible, terrible at defensive rebounding. Almost 35%. Uh, the the offense, the you know the opposing team, grabs almost 35% of their missed shots. That's a bad number. And Duke has been the best offensive rebounding team in the country this year. We absolutely, we we did terrible at that against Wake Forest. We need to get back on track. Duke needs to get a bunch of offensive rebounds against a Florida State team that is not, not at all good at defensive rebounding, which is surprising because they are the third tallest team in the country, according to Ken Pomeroy, in terms of, you know, how many minutes guys are playing and stuff like that. Third tallest team in the land. And, and then it, it's worth mentioning they're a team that can't get out of their own way on offense. Um, they they don't give up a lot of steals. Donald mentioned this, that they're, they're a team that doesn't turn the ball over via steals, but they're terrible at a stat that is tracked called non-steal percentage. And what that means is those are, you know, those are plays like you, you commit a charge, you throw the ball out of bounds, you travel with the ball. Plays where you just give the ball to the other team, not really stuff where the other team is forcing a turnover, Florida State's one of the bottom 50 teams in the country at non-steal turnovers. That's that's a huge, huge problem for them. Duke needs to let this Florida State team stumble and bumble its way all over the floor because <laughs> that's what they that's what they do a lot of. And then the final thing I wanted to mention is that this is not this is different from the Florida State teams we've seen in recent years. We talked last year, like last year they're playing like 11 or 12 guys a game. This year, and Sam's going to talk about their personnel. This year, they're really playing like six, seven guys. This is not a deep Florida State team. And it got even less deep a few weeks ago. Cameron Fletcher, who is one of their better returning players, got injured, hurt his knee. He's out for the entire season. Sam, I think it's entirely possible that we only see six guys, you know, maybe, you know, someone, a seventh guy playing five minutes here or there. But this is not going to be a deep Florida State team. Yeah, since uh, Fletcher uh, has been out, Florida State's basically running a five-man rotation against Notre Dame. They 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 played Notre Dame uh, last week, about approximately a week ago. So they've got they have a ten-day break uh, between their last game and this game. So both teams uh, may come out a little rusty, and then Florida State has another weird 
uh, they, I guess they just have a, a buy in their schedule after this because they play Duke and then they get another week off. So uh, in the way that Duke got Wake Forest in the middle of like three weeks with no games, uh, Florida State gets Duke in, in sort of a similar situation. But against Notre Dame, which was their last opponent, they had five guys played 30 plus minutes and everybody else played under 10. So it's very possible that Hamilton is going with just a five man rotation with just occasional you know, breathers for them with, with guys coming off the bench. But as you mentioned, Fletcher out, that takes out one of Florida State's key contributors. So they go from what I guess was a lineup of six to a lineup of five. Uh, the loss of Fletcher hurts them the most on the rebounding. You guys talked a lot about how Florida State's not a great rebounding team. Fletcher was probably their best rebounder before before his injury. Uh, as, as we said, they don't have uh, – it's, it's interesting, Jason, they're – their uh, effective size being so big that's not coming from the big men that's coming from the wings and guards because they don't have any Jeremy Roach size guards they have a lot a lot of like six five six 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 seven guys so they're they're like a team of swingmen but they don't have the the bigs that you normally imagine Florida State having and Fletcher's not not one of those seven footers either but at least was a pretty big body and was able to grab rebounds with him out it's going to be even more of a struggle for them uh, on the on on the glass at both ends of the floor. So uh, Fletcher's out. Who's still in? Matthew Cleveland has come on really strong for them. He's a sophomore wing uh, who's who's gotten a lot better both at at scoring inside this year and a little bit at rebounding. Um, he's probably the best guy on the floor for them. They've got uh, a couple other effective players in Caleb Mills and Darren Green. Green's the only one that has a consistent outside threat. Cleveland can can shoot it a little bit, but but Green's kind of the main outside threat if there's one guy that can shoot threes for Florida State. So I guess the nice thing for Duke is this this should be a fairly easy scout. Not not too many guys coming off the bench for them, and the guys that do um, sort of have very clear roles. I'll be interested to see how much John Shire deploys his bench. We talked a lot. I, you guys talked. I wasn't able to to be on the show, but we talked after the Wake Forest game about the rotation and sort of who was able to come in and, and spell guys and who wasn't. I'm curious if, if John Shire is going to continue tinkering with the rotation. I'm not sure that Florida State in Cameron is going to present enough of a challenge for Duke that that Jeremy Roach has to play 37 minutes in this game or something like that. So what's John Shire going to experiment with as the you know, the, the calendar turns to 2023 and some tougher ACC opponents uh, lie in wait sort of behind them. That being said, I am also sure that John Shire is thinking about the fact that Duke is only one and one in conference. They uh, have a loss to a team that they should not have lost to. And so you don't want to play with your food too much against a team like Florida State. They, you know, they, they don't have any signature wins on their resume. They don't have any top 100 wins yet this year. But uh, lurking behind a short bench and injuries is Leonard Hamilton, who is one of the best coaches in the ACC. And if he can dial up the intensity and and the commitment for a team to come into Cameron and win, uh, I I believe that. So, yeah, and I think honestly, you mentioned that that bad loss to Wake, and again, probably the first bad loss that we've had this year. How do you respond from that? I know we've had eleven days off, and and we we talked about how do you respond from. Uh, those type of games we I, I thought when we got beat by Purdue I thought we responded very well uh, to that loss with the, with the next game against Ohio State so how do we respond to that loss with something uh, against Florida State and again 
bringing that energy. You know, hopefully everybody is back and they're healthy. I know we we had some guys out against Wake Forest, but again, that energy is going to be key in the first five minutes. We can see how the intensity is. I think that'll be a nice bell, you know, bell weather for how this game is going to go. And look, we talked about how important this break, you know, both before the Wake game, but then after the Wake game as well, was for this team's potential development. That how desperately we want to see Derek Whitehead go. Um, uh, become the player that we all think he can be and how this was an opportunity for Duke to really get some practices in and and begin to, you know, become the team that's going to play in these ACC games because we they, they've been, it's felt like they've been a team that's been doing a lot of experimenting and figuring out lineups and stuff like that. We pointed to this break as an, as an important time. Now it's time to see what actually happened uh, during the break. And, and, and I'm, I'm, you know, I'm really, really hopeful that we're going to see a different Duke team, especially different from the team we saw against Wake Forest, which was, uh, you know, a real, real problem for Duke. And and we shouldn't overlook Florida State. I mean, Ken Pomeroy says that Duke wins this game by 17 points. Um, but Ken Palm and the other advanced metrics said that Duke was going to handle Wake Forest fairly easily as well. Not quite, not 17 points easy, but, you know, at least fairly easily. So, uh, so we should not, we, you can't overlook anybody in the ACC. All right, Sam, bring it home for me. Wrap it up on this Florida State preview. One interesting thing, uh, Caleb Mills, who's the the point guard for Florida State, he's a junior but a you know senior in in academics. He's he's one of these guys who's who stuck around for a while. Uh, good defender and and somewhat erratic ball handler racks up both assists and turnovers in his role as, as the point guard. So uh, Caleb Mills is is a key for Florida State, both in terms of Duke frustrating him into turnovers, but then also um, attacking him a little bit on offense. Uh, he's he's going to get the tough defensive assignment, whoever Florida State decides that is. And at 6'5", he could kind of guard a lot of different players for Duke, whether that's Jeremy Roach, whether that's Derek Whitehead, if he looks good, uh, maybe even Mark Mitchell uh, gets, you know, gets assigned one of Florida State's better defenders. So uh, again, to the point about the rotation, curious to see how, how Shire manages that with a Florida state team that is, that is pretty lean on the bench. Um, but big in terms of guys who could body up all of at least Duke's midsize players. I don't think that, that Florida state uh, has a play. They've got, they've got one player in, in Cameron Corrin who um, who's going to play a lot. Uh, and, and one guy, one very large man on the bench, uh, but they don't really have guys that can, uh, that could contend with, with the size of a Kyle Filipowski. All right, guys, so we're going to move on. There's one last thing I want to uh, mention to the audience very quickly. Uh, just yesterday, it was announced uh, by Jeremy Roach. Jeremy Roach did, was the guy who did the announcing that uh, the the Duke has launched a website, brotherhood.live. It is a player-owned and operated um, name, image, and likeness factory, I guess you would call it, so to speak. <laughs> uh, it, it is a place where... All the revenue generated by this website will be split amongst members of the 2022-2023 Duke Blue Devil team. Um, they, they're going to have a bunch of, of Brotherhood branded merchandise. I, I would uh, I would imagine that there are that Duke's um, pro basketball players are at least somewhat involved in all of this a little bit as a way of helping the the current Duke players. You know, the current guys who are on the team who who don't have pro contracts as a way of making some money for them. Uh, they're 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 all, right away. They've they have a special package that folks can buy that includes uh, autographs, 
um, uh, special, you know, Brotherhood branded um, T-shirts and, and and other apparel and NIL events. It's it, it's an interesting. It's gonna be interesting to see how this develops. Uh, Sam, let me. Uh, sorry, Donald, let me come to you first. We we'd gotten some hints that this was going on. I, I would imagine that Rachel Baker and the folks in the Duke Athletic Department are aware of this. And, you know, I don't know how much they're really allowed to be involved in it, but they're probably a, a, at least a little bit involved. But this is this is a, yet another sort of interesting, creative way that Duke is taking advantage of name, image and likeness, taking advantage of the huge, huge marketing footprint that that Duke has to to help players earn a little bit of what they're actually worth. Yeah. And I'll say that I think. I, I do think that the athletic department is involved in the to the extent that they're making sure that it doesn't run afoul of any it, whatever rules there are regarding name image like is they're making sure that that it's on board there. Uh, but other than that, I'm sure they're probably hands off. And this is a you know player driven initiative. I, I like the shirt um, and I like the fact that you can get like the the slam magazine that they made specifically about the brotherhood that has the players on there. That's autographed. That harpens back to the days, I think, when we all were in school, where you were able to kind of get those uh, Duke posters signed by players of the team for, you know, what was a nominal fee back then. It was like between 20 and 60 bucks, depending on when you did it. Uh, and that will harken back to people who want to get autographs of this particular team. Uh, I think the bundle is something that I would question only because of the price tag. It was $300, so it's not for the not it's not cheap by any any stretch we understand why it's that much and what what comes with it is worth the value but i'm hoping that down the line they enter uh the realm of offering stuff i guess you know piecemeal like offering just the shirt or just the you know other items single you know as so people can just hey if i want to buy a shirt but not necessarily buy the magazine that's autographed i can do that uh and still support so hopefully as they expand their operations and build ramp them up uh, that there'll be more opportunities to buy individual items down the road. But honestly, you know, for me, just put the Gothic Duke, like, you know, brotherhood, like Jersey for sale. I don't know who has to do that. I don't care if it's the players. I don't care if it's Duke. Put that on sale. Put it on a shirt. Give it to me. We'll buy it. Please. Pretty please. It So it does appear to have buy-in from the university because it's got the officially licensed collegiate product stamp on the website, which means that, you know, they, they have to have uh, – they have to have the copyright okay from uh from duke as a university to use all the all you know the, the duke logos and and color schemes and stuff are all over the the apparel and the and the magazine so you have to have at least that much i don't know where the where the lines have to be drawn in terms of the athletic department's involvement but the thing seems to be you know relatively professionally done i doubt that jeremy roach is spending his free time cobbling this together and, and getting his teammates to think about the the pricing plan for the for the brotherhood live subscription etc <laughs> i'm with you that the price tag seems high to me but uh th this may be a one of my regular reminders that i might not be the target audience for a thing like this and that you know it's uh it, i don't know the stuff seems pretty cool like probably too cool for for me to be uh rocking this t-shirt so i'm you know what I, I think it's great if they're if if it makes the players happy and if it makes them you know a little bit of extra money then fine uh, and if it's stuff that I want as, as Donald mentions if it's stuff that I want to buy I'll buy it but if it's not then you know that that that's on them to figure out what it is that'll uh, get me to shell out I don't know if it's three hundred but fifty bucks a hundred bucks um, three hundred seems three seems too expensive but maybe these uh, 
maybe these exclusive events are going to be are going to be pretty sick. Well, we will find out uh, as they continue to, uh, you know, populate this website with with stuff that people can take advantage of. And, and uh, you know, look, I, I, I'm just glad to see Duke being proactive about all this and, and for it to be legitimate NIL opportunities. There are plenty of schools out there that are just, you know, stroking checks to players. And that's not what this is supposed to be about. I mean, I'm I'm not saying that's necessarily is that is that happening is that i i thought i thought that that's not supposed to be what happens well i mean they they are pretending like the players are providing something for you know and and i say schools it's not the actual universities it's the boosters but you you, uh, look john ruiz down at miami is not getting the reason he played paid nigel pack eight hundred thousand dollars over two years is not because nigel pack Endorsing so, John so Jason, companies. if 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 uh, if David Rubenstein starts showing up to the games and and handing out, you know, hundred thousand dollar checks to each of the players, you're you're not down with that. No, I I I don't think that's I don't think that's what's supposed to be happening with name, image, and likeness. We can get into a different debate. We don't have time for it right now about whether the players players should be paid. Um, but in terms of what NIL is supposed to be, in terms of operating the way the NCAA and the courts have said NIL should operate, Duke is doing this the right way. This is the right kind of way of funneling money to the players uh, as opposed to just having donors stroke checks the way Arkansas, Miami, Texas A&M, you know, I could go on and on. There are a bunch of schools that are doing that kind of stuff. Are, agreed? Eh, I, I, I feel like we're 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 past the you know, whatever the point, like I cross the Rubicon. Well, and and I, I wonder at this point, like we, we talked about how uh, the NCAA is getting a new president. What exactly is the point of the NCAA when you can just let the players make money now? Like what, what are they, what are they? I I understand that they put on a basketball tournament, um, but what else exactly is the NCAA doing? If there's not much sort of enforcement left, because there aren't very many rules left, uh, about player eligibility like they're not checking on we know from the from the north carolina thing that the ncaa doesn't really have any jurisdiction over over academic issues so uh what what exactly are they doing anymore i i will i will say for uh you know at least you were talking about the collegiate licensing like logo that's on the website to make it you know let everyone know it's official Uh, especially from duke's angle duke does not do that very often i mean if you think about the their licensing. If you think about some of the, you know, different companies that have shirts for Michigan and Miami and Alabama and stuff, Duke is rarely among those teams that have these external companies making, you know, apparel for them. It's because Duke has been very, you know, closed, you know, closed when it comes to that. So it's a big deal that they have uh, that permission to do that because again, they don't really do that often. It's something that me and my best friend talk about all the time. Like we wish that there was more Duke offerings, uh, especially for some of these companies that are coming up with some really cool stuff for other other schools. Uh, it, see, it seems like Duke hopefully is thinking about maybe, just maybe expanding and saying, hey, yeah, even through NIL, let some of these other companies have at it and see what they can provide for, for fans. I, I should have said uh, that I'm not sure I'll pay $300 for a Brotherhood subscription, but I did buy multiple beers at Madison Square Garden yesterday which I think almost added up to $300. So uh, I'm not, I'm not sure yeah, so that I, that I totally have if, my, if, my, if my they had a 10 pack of beer, 
if they had a 10 pack of beer, you probably would have bought it. But if you buy 10 beers, you know, you, you're going to pay about the same amount of money. But you, in your mind, you're like, yes, I am winning. Like Donald, Guys, I can't Brotherhood buy 10 beer. beers. 10 beers is so <laughs> many beers. <laughs> Brotherhood beer is a is a winning branding opportunity. I am telling you, it's out there. Someone just has to take drink advantage it. of it. All right. We've gotten to the silly stuff. You can tell it is time to wrap it up. This episode of the Duke Basketball Report podcast, all done. That was Donald. That was Sam. I am Jason. This is the Duke Band. Play us out and take us home. What are you guys doing for New Year's? I have this wedding to go to here. Oh, that's um, right, yeah. So, so otherwise, I, was... I, I I thought about going down to the game, um, but I wouldn't ba- make it back in time. So, yeah, my plan is just to watch the game. I I think I now have to work on New Year's Eve because as of right now, my uh, work is in uh, the systems aren't functioning, um, so we can't get paid while they're fixing it. Um, so I'll probably do some work on New Year's Eve. But uh, my plan original plan was just to watch the new game and then watch the football because uh, Michigan's on at four. Um, I have some friends that are coming into town last minute, so we may do something low key, but um, yeah, not too much going on. I am we going have, to uh... a cabin. I'm going to a cabin in the Georgia mountains. This is what I do every year with uh, they're, they're uh, like four couples. Our kids all grew oh, up. Yeah, together. You mentioned that you were doing that. Yeah. 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 So we're really, we haven't been able to do it for two years. Two mm-hmm. years ago, we didn't do it because of COVID last year. Everybody, but us did it. My wife got COVID at the last minute and we were like, we can't come. Oh, well, mm-hmm. um, but uh, so anyway, I'm very excited to, to get back to that. It's been a while. Um, yeah. We have uh, of the guys going to the wedding. Uh, two of them are Michigan alums. So they're like, oh, what the hell? <laughs> um, well, the game's at four, which me and my dad were talking like it rather. I'd much rather be four than that. Eight yeah, o'clock game. The the eight, eight o'clock, o'clock game. game is bleeding in the midnight. Like right. there's no question that game's. Yeah. These guys, well, these guys are going to be watching. I mean, if it's, if it's competitive, they'll be like watching the end of the game, like during the wedding, um, during the wedding. Yeah. During the ceremony. No. Or I'm sorry, the reception. Yeah. Um. So, but I don't care. So I, I can, I can come in and out of it. <laughs> Just have a TV or your phone. Yeah, I, I'm exactly. gonna at the cabin. We we have multiple Georgia fans. We are gonna be glued. Yeah, but your your thing is your thing involves just like being at home, like or like right. indoors. It's not yeah. like being at an event where you where you're like, oh shit, what do I do? <laughs> yeah. So.